Before we get to today's show, I'd like to hear from you. This show is nothing without our listeners, and we want to make sure we provide you with what you're looking for. Our mailbox is open to all suggestions. So if you have a topic you want to learn about, or a guest you want to hear from, let us know by sending us an email to jagahealthandwellness at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-G-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-N-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the episode. As the world gets louder and louder, the lessons of our natural world become harder and harder to hear, but they are still available to those who know where to listen. I'm Jerry Olette, and I was honored to serve as Ontario's Minister of Natural Resources. However, my journey into the woods didn't come from politics. Rather, it came from my time in the bush and a mushroom. In 2015, I was introduced to the birch-hungry fungus known as chaga, a tree conch, with centuries of medicinal applications used by Indigenous peoples all over the globe. After nearly a decade of harvest, use, testimonials and research, my skepticism has faded to obsession, and I now spend my life dedicated to improving the lives of others through natural means. But that's not what the show's about. My pursuit of this strange mushroom And my passion for the outdoors has brought me to the places and around the people that are shaped by our natural world. On Outdoor Journal Radio's Under the Canopy podcast, I'm going to take you along with me to see the places, meet the people that will help you find your outdoor passion and help you live a life close to nature and under the canopy. Well, we're trying something a little bit different now on Under the Canopy, and what we're doing is certain times of the year there are certain things that are ready to be harvested and used and right now staghorn sumac or rus tefina is the latin name for it is ready to be harvested and when things are ready to be harvested we felt it was a good idea to have an episode dealing with products that could be harvested all around now we're in ontario and what we find is that Staghorn sumac, or Rus typhina, is ready here in Ontario, but the same time as the raspberries are ripe is the time to harvest it. And a lot of people talk about various sumac and get concerned about, well, what about poison sumac? Staghorn sumac is very, very different. Different areas, different environments on what it, the areas that it lives. Poison sumac has white berries, And staghorn sumac has red berries. And that's one of the key differentiating factors about it. Some of the things that I find very interesting about staghorn uh, sumac is it's it's in the same family as the cashew, mango, and pistachio plants. So for people that have allergies to cashews or mango or pistachio, they should stay away from the staghorn sumac or any of the sumacs as you may have a reaction to it. Now, it's... It's grown pretty wild all over North America. Predominantly, the staghorn is found in the northwest states as well as provinces like Ontario and extend quite a bit to northern Ontario. I've actually found it in places like Sault Ste. Marie and a number of other spots as well. And it's, it's a 
red fruit that grow in what they call droops. Now, these droops are filled with berries that, once they're ripe, they have a very unique flavor to them. And a lot of people will make them into a tea. And the way you make a tea with it basically is when the berries are ripe, and what you can do is is you'll turn a very dark, deep red, is you pick the droop, just cut it off, and people will dry it. And a lot of people use their ovens. If you don't have a, a dehydrator, such as I have, and for myself, I put in a dehydrator and use it at about 140 for several hours, like 10, 12 hours. And then the berries will just fall right off the stems. And you can take those berries and actually put them in cold water. You don't use hot well. Some have used hot water, but a lot will just take them and put uh, basically a full droop into a jug of water. Say, we're probably looking at about, oh, that would be four or five liters, and let it sit overnight. And individuals will put it in the sun, and the sun will actually draw out the flavors, and it actually makes a very nice tea, almost like a lemonade sort of things. But a lot of other areas use it as a herbal supplement as well. The In 2014, analysis has found that the dried sumac is made up of about 71% carbs, 19% fat, 5% protein. And there are two t- particular types of fat uh, that are found in it. It's, uh, it's a type of um, monosaturated fat commonly u- associated with heart health, and which is uh, a fat that's found in other um, foods, including olives or avocados and things like that. And the other type is a, a polyunsaturated fat that's involved in maintaining healthy skin and cellular membranes. Okay, so in 2004, a chemical analysis of the fresh sumac fruit found that over 14% of it was made up of fiber, a nutrient that supports a lot of digestive health as well. Now, sumac is very rich in antioxidants, including tannins. And actually, historically, the tannins found in sumac was used to tan hides for a lot of uh, early settlers in North America. And the, the tannins have something called flavonoids in them, which is, is a very beneficial aspect as well. But uh, certainly due to the lack of, of um, um, research on sumac for medicinal applications, there's not a lot of details that are out there. But what I want to do now is, is bring in Dean and let Dean, because what I did was I brought in a couple of droops, and Dean... Yep. What I I'm want here. you to do a couple we'll do a couple things. So okay. take off, just take it like this. Okay. And pull off a small cluster of berries from the tip. Off the top? Okay. Yep, off the top, fine. Yep. You can take it off any part. Okay. Now bef- rub it in your fingers. Okay. Okay. And there's a reason for that afterwards. Okay. And then so just, all the little hairs are coming off it? Well, is no, the right? hairs are actually the part that provide a lot of it. And that's kind of some of the reason that it's called staghorn is because it looks like velvet mm. um, from a, a stag or a it deer. It feels like that as well, yeah. Yeah. And so and now just take the berries and put them in your mouth. Okay. Okay. And what do you find? How do they taste? They're good. They're pretty tart, I guess, a little yeah. bit. They're yeah. not super strong tasting, though. No. No. Well, the ones, now I just picked these, this one here and the one for you just before coming in to, to tape the show. 
because I got some fresh stuff. But I found the ones that were there. I, I walked around quite a few of the bushes, and I looked for ones that, first of all, where they there's no chemical sprays because like a lot of plants, so you don't want stuff that has will absorb a lot of the toxins in. So the area I went to, they weren't quite ripe enough yet. Like the other ones that I had previously were actually very ripe, where these ones are getting close. Okay. Now, the one thing, the reason I asked you to rub it in your hands is just lick the fingers where you where you rubbed it. Mm. And you get a very specific flavor there, don't you? Like a lime or... Uh, Lemony kind of... Yeah. Yeah, but there's no citric in it, so it makes it very interesting. Mm. Now, the other thing that we did was we took these, and I made a lemonade last night for today, and I've poured you yep. a cup of, of sumac lemonade to try. Yep. Now, Give it a try. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. It's surprising, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. I, I know on the weekend when I was at events, I had all kind of people. And I didn't make the lemonade, but I just picked it when I was setting up. And I showed people, and it was just like, people are, you eat that? Is it okay? What about poison stuff? No, poison sumac actually grows in, in very, like a high moisture along uh, marshes and swamps, the sort of things, and they have a very different berry. It's a very white berry, where the the sumac and the staghorn sumac. Now, there's several different strains of sumac in um, this part of in North America, but the staghorn is is one of the ones that are most prevalent here in Ontario, where we are, and through a lot of the Northwest states, and actually right over to Montana. I see that the one of the grand champion trees is is located. Now, what people do with this is they will they will pick these droops and they to, to try and describe a droop on the um the on an audio it's it's kind of like if you a cluster of grapes i guess would be a best yeah. example yep but re- very very small and so what they'll do is they will put the the sumac in a dehydrator or some people will use an oven if they don't have it they take their ovens a lot of them will go down to about 170 Leave the door open so you get air circulation through and leave it on for quite a few hours. I know some actually let it go for, oh, to, say 10, 12 hours until. And then these berries that are there that are kind of very furry, I guess you'd almost call them. Yep. Would uh, They pop right off. And what people will do is they will put this in a food processor, take all these berries, put it in a fruit presser to take the seeds out. Because it's the surrounding of the seed that gives you the flavor and where all the benefits are in. And then they'll t- take a do a several pulses in the food processor and then run it through a strainer. And you will get just the covering and uh, take the seeds completely off that. And a lot of cultures, I know there's something called fatouche, which is basically a Middle East salad sort of thing that people use that um, for the salad, what they do is they... It's it gives it a very unique flavor. It's almost a a citricy almost sort of flavor to it as well. That uh, causes a lot of well, it gives it a very good flavor. And a lot of Middle Eastern country, countries utilize a lot of. I think it's uh, Syrian sumac is what they use for that purpose. But it's very very beneficial. It's got a lot of vitamin C, B one, a lot of the B vitamins as well. So it's a B one, B twelve. And I think it's B6 of the three main ones that I've seen and read up on that it has uh, concentrations on, which is, uh, and a lot of the other aspects. So we thought that um, giving people an opportunity to try handling some sumac, and sumac is a, 
it comes back on an, an annual basis. The trees will grow up to 30 feet tall, and you just harvest them about the same time as the the raspberries were ready. Put it in a de uh, in a de Hydrator or in your oven, 170 on the dehydrator. Use 140 for about 10, 12 hours. Take the the pull the berries off, and then you can separate that. And then you can use the put it through a strainer then to strain out all the 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 the, uh, the beans or the the kind of pea size, very small pea size sort of berries that are in there. And it's the covering of that that gives you the flavor. And it can be used all year long. And just put it in a jar, and it can be used for many different things. But staghorn sumac was something that I thought we'd talk about. And I thought to give people an opportunity to get out there and harvest something that's out there now, and it's available under your canopy. And now it's time for another testimonial for Chaga Health and Wellness. Okay, I'm here in Millbrook with Trevor, who had a great experience and wants to share it with us with the skin cream, the Chaga skin cream. Trevor, uh, tell us uh, what you went through and how much you used, and go ahead. I've had eczema on my arm since I was a little kid, and it's always been quite a rough patch there on my arm. Um, and, and no lotion seemed to ever get it so that it was smooth. Right. But using the Chaga... Probably for three weeks. It feels like normal skin now. Yeah, and how often did you put it on? I'd put it on maybe once every other day. I didn't remember to do it every day. So, yeah, yeah but yeah. once every other day, one time a day. Very good, and, and you had good. great results, and now yeah. it's, feels it like feels normal. like normal skin again. Very good. Yeah. And you didn't try anything else, so you figured that's what... No, that was... It worked, so I'm sticking with that. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks, Trevor, here in Millbrook. Yeah. Okay. We interrupt this program to bring you a special offer from Chaga Health and Wellness. If you've listened this far and you're still wondering about this strange mushroom that I keep talking about and whether you would benefit from it or not, I may have something of interest to you. To thank you for listening to the show, I'm going to make trying Chaga that much easier by giving you a dollar off all our Chaga products at checkout. All you have to do is head over to our website, ChagaHealthAndWellness.com Place a few items in the cart and check out with the code CANOPY C-A-N-O-P-Y If you're new to Chaga I'd highly recommend the regular Chaga tea This comes with 15 tea bags per package and each bag gives you around 5 or 6 cups of tea Hey, thanks for listening Back to the episode Okay, now Dean was asking some questions about how and where do you harvest it. So sumac, it it grows just just about everywhere. And I spoke to some some actually landscapers who use a lot of sumac and landscaping because it provides a nice canopy. It's a nice kind of tree that um, um, that people can utilize in landscaping areas. And we find it, uh, as I was saying, I was doing an event. Well, these ones I picked here, I went to the local park. I had to go down an area where there's no houses, and there's half a dozen or a dozen trees along the way. And I got to the park, and there's probably 15, 20 trees there in an urban center. On the weekend, I was doing an event when I was I picked some there and handed it to a lot of people to let them try. 
while I was putting out signs for the location at the event, right by a stop sign, and there was a large abundance abundance of it right there. And right beside the school where we were, there was several trees all in there that all had staghorn sumac that was deep red and ready to be harvested. So, and when you harvest it, all I do is I take a knife and right at the, the base of the droop where you'll get all the berries, I just cut it off right there. And then I can take it and dry it from there. So when I put it in the tea, and the tea I made here, I actually didn't use the, the dried sumac. I used a fresh sumac. And all I did was I cut the stems off uh, from the main stem and then put that in about, uh, I put one small droop in probably two, two and a half liters of water and left it overnight in the fridge to make the, the tea that Dean was trying. Now, sumac actually is is rich in antioxidants. And although the research that, that's out there on it isn't quite as in-depth as, at least I haven't been able to find it, um, but I have not been honestly looking into it that much, that uh, rich in antioxidants, and uh, and people hear about antioxidants, but do actually, like Dean, do you know how antioxidants actually work with people and what they do? No, I don't. I hear the word all the time, but I've never looked into it. Mm-hmm. So antioxidants, essentially, what happens is when we do anything, we're burning energy. And this is a very basic way to, to describe it. So when we burn energy, we, a lot of times we don't burn the complete molecule. Those unburnt portions of molecules are called free radicals. And you can get free radicals through the foods that we eat, the air that we breathe, absorb it through our skins. And free radicals, essentially, what they do is they they try to join with other free radicals to make complete molecules. And, and a lot of times they will concentrate in areas such as organs. And they start to break down your system. Antioxidants, essentially the, the easiest way to describe them is antioxidants consume free radicals. So the higher the antioxidants, <coughs> excuse me, the more free radicals are consumed, the less your systems break down in the first place. And that's one of the key ways that antioxidants work. <coughs> so some of the other things that um, that uh, sumac or staghorn sumac is, it may provide a balance in blood sugar. Some of the research uh, suggests that sumac may be an effective tool in managing blood sugars with people with uh, type 2 diabetes. And there was a study done in 2014 where 41 people who had uh, diabetes, um, where they were taking a 3-gram dose of sumac on a daily basis to check the effect on their blood sugar. And over um, the three-month period, the group that received the sumac had a significantly improved average blood sugars and antioxidant levels as those that compared that took the placebo. So, but this is one study, and it was a very small sample select of only 41 people. You need large studies in a lot of them. And one of the things that uh, talks about is insulin sensitivity is causing a lot of problems with blood sugar issues. Now, remember, we're not doctors, can't give medical advice. What we do is we give you the, the detailed research and expect that you would follow up and always follow your healthcare professional when you're dealing with any of these things. But uh, a lot of it, uh, after that same group of 41, they experienced a 25% reduction in their circulatory insulin 
suggesting that their insulin sensitivity may have increased as a, a result of taking the sumac, which is a very positive thing. Those are just some of the benefits that uh, sumac has out there, along with all the culinary aspects that it's used. I mentioned about uh, it's it's kind of like a almost like a tart uh, lemon flavor, citrus kind of like um, taste to it, but uh, no citric acid in it. So those people uh, that have acid concerns, it's something that's you can enjoy without having to worry about that. So speaking of harvesting. A lot of individuals ask me about harvesting chaga and when is the time to harvest and when is the time of year to harvest that. When we first started out, and quite frankly to this day, we still harvest when there's no sap in the trees. We find that uh, the moisture content in chaga is much lower and that uh, the drying time or the curing time is substantially reduced. Even though, even when we harvest, which is, usually um, very very late fall or beginning of winter or through the winter time, that uh, it still loses about 45 to 55% of its weight after it cures. But the one thing that we found interesting, even though all the information, not all the information, a lot of the information said that you need to harvest in the wintertime, and I've seen some stuff that, oh, it has to be minus such and such. Uh, I got to tell you, when we go to powwows, and when we're doing um, talking to a lot of the medicine people on First Nations, the shaman, every single one, and I mean every single one, harvest all year long. So I tried to find out some of the reasons, and quite frankly, I don't. There isn't any research, and I've got over a thousand studies worldwide on chaga that spoke about the time of the year that it was harvested and what was done. There isn't any of that anywhere. So. If somebody has some of that uh, that I haven't seen, I'd be more than happy to look at it. Of course, because we're always reading and finding out about that stuff. Send us the links and we'll have a look at it. But one of the things that I found was is that people were harvesting it. And they were harvesting it when there was a large moisture content. So this time of the year, which is basically in the middle of August, I had people bringing me in some chag and it was very, very, had a lot of moisture content in it. But they had it in plastic bags. And what happens is, is you get secondary mold and growth on your chaga, which would take away from the medicinal applications. So the first thing I tell people is, don't put it in plastic bags. Make sure you got it in a canvas or a paper bag, even stuff like leaf bags and those sorts of things where we are, they're all paper because they're, they're compostable. So a lot of those ones breathe and absorb a lot and allow moisture to go out. Because it's that secondary mold growth that I find that could be part of the reasons as to why not to harvest it when there's a lot of sap in the tree. And the other thing is, is that within harvesting within 24 hours, break it up into chunks about the size of a walnut. And the reason you do that is because once it dries, it's hard as heck. I had, I don't know how many people, let me see, probably four people on the weekend asked me, how do you break it up? Is that how long you had it? And the one beside me, they said, well, we got it uh, over a year ago. And I said, well, first of all, put it in the freezer because it'll go dormant. But within harvesting, break it up into about chunk, about walnut-sized chunks. And the only thing you can do now is when you get large pieces like that, though, the size of a grapefruit, is take an old pillowcase or an old towel, put it in that and take a mallet and break it down. And then you'll get all the pieces that way. But you want to make sure you take off all the the impurities on the outside. Otherwise, it turns it very bitter and very bad tasting. It has a very off taste. Uh, and that's one of the key ways that you can harvest it and enjoy it all year long. Well, 
That's a special segment that we're doing called Harvest Time. And if you're interested or you want us to do more of that, let us know because there's a lot of other things. I know there's self-heal, all-heal, that uh, it's it's ready to time to do harvesting for, for those products as well, which is an, another plant in the mint family that has a lot of it. There's mullins. There's all kind of other plants that are out there. And if you want to hear more about those sort of things, let us know. Give us some feedback on that, and we can broaden the harvest time so that we can include more aspects of Harvest Time Things Found Under the Canopy. Everybody, I'm Angelo Viola. And I'm Pete Bowman. Now, you might know us as the hosts of Canada's favorite fishing show, but now we're hosting a podcast. That's right. Every Thursday, Angela and I will be right here in your ears, bringing you a brand new episode of Outdoor Journal Radio. Hmm. Now, what are we going to talk about for two hours every week? Well, you know there's going to be a lot of fishing. I knew exactly where those fish were going to be and how to catch them, and they were easy to catch. Yeah, but it's not just a fishing show. We're going to be talking to people from all facets of the outdoors, from athletes. All the other guys would go golfing. Me and Garth and Turk and all the Russians would go fishing. To scientists. But now that we're reforesting and letting things free, it's the perfect transmission environment for Lyme disease. To chefs. If any game isn't yeah. cooked properly, marinated, or you will taste it. And whoever else will pick up the phone. Wherever you are, Outdoor Journal Radio seeks to answer the questions and tell the stories of all those who enjoy being outside. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What brings people together more than fishing and hunting? How about food? I'm Chef Antonio Maleca, and I've spent years catering to the stars. Now, on Outdoor Journal Radio's Eatin' Wild podcast, Louise, Hooksat, and I are bringing our expertise and Rolodex to our real passion, the outdoors. Each week, we're bringing you inside the boat, tree stand, or duck blind and giving you real advice that you can use to make the most out of your fishing game. You're going to flip that duck breast over once you get a nice hard sear on that breast. You don't want to sear the actual meat. And it's not just us chatting here. If you can name a celebrity, we've probably worked with them. And I think you might be surprised who likes to hunt and fish. When Kit Harrington asks me to prepare him sashimi with his bass, I couldn't say no. Whatever Taylor Sheridan wanted, I made sure I had it. Burgers, steak, anything off the barbecue. That's a true cowboy. All Jeremy Renner wanted to have was lemon ginger shots all day. Find Eating Wild now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. 